Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 4th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it right before a big holiday weekend. Debates and fundraising updates in a variety of races made headlines across Colorado this week. In the Congressional District 3 race, Republican candidate Lauren Boebert uh, declined the Club 20 debate invitation while her opponent, Diane Mitz-Bush, announced a $1.8 million TV ad buy. And uh, it should be said here that also her Democratic opponent also turned down the Club 20 debate. Meanwhile, uh, Senator Cory Gardner and former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper agreed on one additional debate. It'll be their first in Denver. Only two have been agreed upon so far. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, we go to you first. What is it about uh, debates that are scaring people off on both sides of the aisle uh, throughout the state of Colorado? Scaring people, scaring them off, or they're taking advantage of the fact that they can get away with not showing up. In Bush's case, she said she wasn't coming to Club 20 because of a COVID concerns, and that is a pretty good excuse right now as we come on the sixth month. We finished the sixth month uh, since Colorado had its first case. Bobert, who was next to say she wasn't coming, didn't want to come because she wasn't getting the questions in advance and they weren't going to accept a recorded video. Really, this is not a time for infomercials. We would like to see some off-the-cuff or at least in-person responses when we can. But you have to set up debates. You know how difficult it is in this new COVID world. But the response you get when people are talking to each other in the same room is just plain different. And I think debates could really make a big difference in this year's election (coughs) if we see presidential, for example, who really can think on their feet. Who can think uh, is really what it's coming down to. So it would be nice to see more of Hickenlooper and Gardner really take each other on in a one-on-one debate in person. Maybe we'll get two of them, but everyone is still fighting about terms, and that's really the big issue right now. You can get away with saying you won't show up, but Lauren Boebert, who used the fake news when they said she was asking for the questions, shame on her. That will not hold up. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, coming into this, I, I know I am biased. As a debate moderator, we've been producing debates on Channel 12 for uh, now 20 years, over 20 years. Uh, so I know my position on this, but do you think... Uh, with somebody like Governor Hickenlooper fighting the urge to do, do almost any debates, he's only agreed to Pueblo, one in Denver, and they, they might get a third if they twist the arms really hard. Does that become a liability at any point in this campaign? Well, I think he, he hopes not, since Jared Polis was the first major Colorado candidate ever uh, to skip Club, Club 20, which is what he did in, um, in 2018. And he got away with it, and it's a strategy for, for sitting on your lead and not giving yourself a chance to make a mistake, which in Hickenlooper's uh, situation <laughs> is, is probably a realistic strategy. I mean, everyone knows he, he's a terrible debater, um, and if the primary had been decided on the debates, Andrew Romanoff would have, would have won in a landslide. Um, Mitch Bush might be in a she, – she doesn't have a solid lead necessarily, but it's, I think it's a similar kind of strategy. She has – and by the way, kudos to um, – Colorado politics and its deputy managing editor, Joey Bunch, who've done a, a great job in covering that race. She has an enormous amount of money, and she's got a top-of-the-line campaign staff with loads of experience in other states. So this uh, $1.8 million buy we're seeing now may be just the beginning, and that's partly because CD5, the, the three, which is the size of Florida, to fully buy the media there, you, you've got to do five television markets. You, you've got Denver, Grand Junction, uh, Albuquerque, 
Colorado Springs, and, and even Salt Lake City for, for some of that district. Um, and uh, Club 20 is a hard debate format if you're a bad debater because it, it's, based, it's derived from the Lincoln-Douglas uh, approach where the candidates get to cross-examine each other. Um, and, you know, Hickenlooper standing up to that would, would be a challenge. I think it was a mistake for Boebert to say, Boebert could have shown up like, like Gardner's going to do, Give a give a presentation and then answer questions in in real life uh, from the audience at the time and, and uh, I, I wish they would all do that. Penfield Tate joins us remotely, a longtime state lawmaker and a uh, current attorney with Tate Law. Uh, Penn, you have participated in countless debates, uh, both as a lawmaker and as a candidate. Uh, is there a, a, a change in the culture around debating with candidates? I mean, it didn't seem to me that Club 20 is unfriendly territory for uh, either of the CD3 candidates in a tight race. This is not like one incumbent for 20 years just writing it off. This is supposed to be uh, a pretty tight race. Uh, and then and Hickenlooper and Gardner, and this is the U.S. Senate we're talking about, and we might get two debates. Uh, it seems silly to me, but as we said, I'm biased. What are your thoughts? You know, it, it, it's kind of unfortunate how this has evolved over time. It used to be that what you did with debates is the, the back and forth, and, and the jockeying was over the format and the content of, of the questions and the subjects uh, so that you could try to have a format that was advantaging your candidate. But now the strategy of deciding that if you have a safe lead, you just shouldn't show up at all, I think is distressing. And I think it's a disservice to the voters also. Uh, they have a right to what I call the taste test. They ought to be able to see a candidate, touch a candidate. And I know in this COVID environment, you can't do exactly that. But they have a right to see a candidate up for, up close and see them think on their feet. And uh, I'm just disturbed with the entire trend uh, of candidates um, ducking debates and deciding they're just not worth the time and effort uh, for fear that they'll make a mistake. If you're worried about making a, state, a mistake on the debate stage, we ought to be worried about you making a mistake if we elect you to office. Natasha Gardner also joins us remotely, a freelance journalist, longtime part of the panel here. Uh, Natasha, uh, maybe uh, I'm being cynical here, but maybe candidates will start uh, being concerned about debates and treat them as a priority as soon as voters do. And I don't know when that might happen. What do you think? I think voters do care about them, and I think it is a mistake to sort of hide from the debates right now. But it's become a, a continuing thing in politics that predates the pandemic. I mean, we've seen for years, I mean, controlling the message, right? Everyone wants to do that. Every candidate wants control over every mailer that goes out, every email that goes out, every interview question that they receive. The question is how much pushback do they get on that so that voters get a sense of who they are? Because this is not just about what, what careful message you're campaign can create. It's about how your brain works. Because once you get into the Congress or you're in the legislature and you're in a meeting, your brain matters and, and how you respond to people, how you respond to adversity, but also positive things uh, all matters. And this is a way for, for voters to see that, particularly because I think that in addition to turning down debates, candidates are also turning down interviews with media. So less and less opportunities for candidates to engage with voters. Now with COVID, 
COVID. We don't have those in-person events. So we're, we're getting down to this very small trickle. Uh, in some ways, I'm sure that the election season has seemed very loud to people. But in other ways, we've had very little information coming out from candidates, especially in the real-time moments where we're at right now. So in particular, people in Colorado voters might say, hey, I know Hickenlooper. I know Gardner. I know what I need to know. You don't necessarily know all their stances right now in this moment in the pandemic. How is their um, response going to be? What are their plans for recovery? Um, how do they see, how do they want to deal with schools? How do they want to deal with the economy? How do they want to deal with public health? Those are all questions that I have as both a member of the media, but also a member of the public. So for me, I think the disservice here is for the voters overall. Uh, I know it seems to be an easy answer for the candidates to, to keep that message close, but I wish that someone would be brave in these, these final days and months and really step out and give Colorado voters the information that they need to make the decision when it comes to Election Day. Amidst ongoing conversations about the role of police, the Denver Police Protective Association is negotiating a new contract with the city. The union is asking for a 3% pay increase in 2022 with no bump in salary in 2021. At least five city council members do not support the current agreement. David, we start with you on this one. Uh, contract negotiations with the police union are always going to make headlines, but uh, this year in particular and the kind of drama we've seen with the Denver City Council, uh, we might see uh, more contention. What do you expect from negotiations? Well, just to follow up on Natasha, candid- people who want to watch the brave candidates even if you live in uh, Denver, Colorado Mesa University is going to live stream Club 20 this year. So tune in if you're civic-minded. Good addition. So back at, at, at the turn of the century, I wrote about the, the Rampart scandal in the Los Angeles Police Department. We had unjustified homicides, theft, perjury, framing innocent people, and similar things were going on in other police departments, uh, notably Chicago and Albuquerque among them, mostly in, in relation to the war on drugs. And the Los Angeles investigators of the scandal uh, reported the major cause and the lack of integrity in American police officers is mediocrity. So if you hire police officers for mediocrity, you're going to get more unjustifiable police violence and less effective policing. And when you have less effective policing, you're going to have more violent crime and more murders, and especially in poor neighborhoods. And conversely, if you want excellence in policing, you have to pay for it. The plan agreed to by the mayor and the uh, Police Protective Association is for a 3% decrease in total compensation in 2021, followed by a 2.77% salary increase in 2022. You know, I I think council members and the public are right to criticize the lack of transparency uh, in the negotiations, and that's been an ongoing problem for, for decades in the Denver city government. Pam, we go to you next. As a former mayoral candidate, uh, if things went differently last year, you could be right in the middle of this right now. What are some of the factors we need to know about that are important right now? You know, I, I think context is important. Um, and I understand the, the police, um, um, the protective association wanting uh, a bump in, in compensation. And that's typically what they request. But at a time where um, State city government is looking at pretty major um, budget cuts because of a decline in revenue 
the uh, pandemic. Um, also, you're looking at the broader political context where there have actually been debates over charter amendments to begin to transform how we police and what that looks like and how much money is devoted to that effort to be requesting a pay raise, even though it's in 2022, seems to be a bit tone deaf. Uh, we ought to wait till the end of 2021 to figure out what the pay raise ought to be in 2022. And, and so I think that the, the police, uh, Denver uh, Police Protective Association has set them up, set themselves up for a couple of unnecessary hits um, uh, with this request at a time when they really ought to be building allies and frankly, community support and engagement because a number of people have been concerned and critical about how they've uh, responded to some of the protest in, in the city um, as a result of um, the, the murders of um, black men in other cities around the country. Natasha, one extra layer we have on this that we may not have had, at least in this degree in years past, is the drama that is the Denver City Council. Uh, it's not as if it was a bastion of agreement for years before this one, but this year in particular, blame it on whatever you want, uh, there seems to be a little bit more drama. Do you think that will play a bigger role in the negotiations moving forward? Absolutely. And um, uh, part of the negotiations, there, there was a little bit of a mishap or a miscommunication that I'm sure different parties would, would describe it in different ways. But the city council, which is supposed to be at those nego negotiations, was at, there was actually not a representative there in the very early stages. That was rectified and, and they were part of it going forward. But it sort of sets the entire situation off into a, a poor direction um, with a sense and maybe they weren't included. Um, and like I said, that was rectified but still there's that, that sort of seed of, well, why not? Why weren't they at the table? And, and did that impact the, the final decision and what, what the city council is looking at as, as they're saying that? I, I have to say, I'm a little impressed that, that someone is optimistic enough that 2022 is going to be back to normal and that we can have raises. Um, I appreciate that optimism in this world. I just think that we, we got a hint of this in the, the late spring um, with the state looking at, okay, what are the projections going to be and how much do we have to slash the budget? The city, just because of timing and the way that they do their budgets, is now really digging into that. And, and it's going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of things that are cut. And for a city that was booming so much to go to a situation where we're talking about a pay increase two years down the road that is only 3%, which most people might have considered a cost of living adjustment in, in the past, in the recent past, this is a huge mind shift. So we're going to have this conversation on the police and we're going to have this conversation on every other line item of that budget as, as it moves forward. But as, as Penn brings up, this is a different moment to in, in this country. The, the conversation, any conversation about the police is on automatically connected to larger conversations that we're having about healing, about change, about where this country moves forward. So timing is everything in politics and budgets. And it just feels like the police department is running up against some hurdles right now. Patty, it's not as if uh, relations at the Denver City Council and the mayor's office and the police department need anything else to make it more dramatic. But here comes this. It's 2020. Why not? What do you think? Well, the city might as well have given an engraved invitation to city council members to not accept this agreement. They were two days through negotiations before city council even knew they were happening. And Natasha's right. City council had a right to be sitting at that table, not cranky 13 city council members arguing with each other, 
but they had a right to be at the table to talk about it. So I think on, for that reason alone, we will wind up seeing this agreement turned down. Then there's a second round of discussions at which city council would certainly be there, the one person at the table. If they don't agree after that, it goes to binding arbitration. I'm assuming at this point no one wants to go there. They will come up with some kind of agreement that will work, but it's not going to be better in a couple of weeks for the police department because we're just finding worse and worse things out about the city's budget. We just had the entire arts and venues staff furloughed, 70 people, through January. So there are going to be other cuts coming like that. There are buyouts now, uh, retirement buyouts for other people in the city. It's not going to look better for the police. So everyone should get to the table who's supposed to be there and get it done fast. Colorado Pierce have made progress controlling COVID-19 outbreaks and overall numbers remain low. But over the weekend, hundreds of uh, hundreds gathered at Bandemir Speedway for a Stop the Chaos rally to express their belief that their constitutional rights have been infringed upon by mask mandates and bans on large events. In response, Jefferson County health officials have filed a lawsuit against Bandemir for holding the event. Penn, we start with you on this one. Uh, again, I, I'm not sure if it's the table or 2020 or maybe just my own personality, but I've grown a little cynical this year. It kind of seems like the organizers wanted the lawsuit. Uh, that, that seems like the bigger issue here, but maybe I'm crazy. What do you think? Uh, no, they were they were egging for a lawsuit. And, and I mean, Dominic, when you look at this, um, the, the state has recently reported the seven-day moving average for hospitalizations for positive test results um, are all down. Wearing masks and social distancing clearly works, and that's what we're seeing in Colorado. And, and you know, the folks at, at the Bandemir Speedway, um, it's unfortunate they were egging for this fight in this lawsuit um, in the name of the First Amendment. But, you know, we also have all have a right to be to be safe and secure out in public. And, it, and it's one of the disturbing things about this pandemic is it is revealing how some segments of our society are so self-absorbed and selfish that they won't even be polite enough to observe appropriate social distancing or wear a mask. Um, And you wear a mask not necessarily to protect yourself, not only that, but to protect the person next to you. And that just seems to me like common sense and common courtesy. And why someone wants to bring a lawsuit because they object to being courteous to their neighbors it is beyond my understanding. And so I hope this thing is quickly thrown out by the court is just silly because clearly the governor and, and other policymakers are attempting to protect as many Coloradans as possible from a disease that is killing people. And that I think is a major difference. Natasha, something like this, uh, hopefully it's not a trend, but when it becomes a rally like this, do you think it could be? Well, Colorado has a long history I and mean, the whole country has a long history of people being able to think independently and, and exercise on in different ways. I mean, that's that's what this country is all about. Um, but in this case, you know, I, first and foremost, I hope no one gets sick and, and um, that's that's a priority. What I think it really does, though, is distract from the fact that Colorado has done such an excellent job on responding to this pandemic. Now, I'm sure there's things that we could have done differently. There's things that we could still do differently. But if you look at this, and if anyone's like me, I'm kind of checking COVID numbers as much as I check the weather these days. <laughs> it's become sort of a daily ritual. There's a lot of things that Colorado has done well. And, and you know, so we spend a lot of time talking about what happened at the Speedway. 
um, I just want to also shine a light on the fact that we have hospital workers from day one of this pandemic who have been working so hard to make sure that Coloradans survive this and thrive, um, you know, and they're doing that with still limited resources. So again, I just, I worry that we we see sort of the this big rally and it becomes a big headline for a lot of people and, and lose fact of fact uh, or lose attention on the fact that so many Coloradans have made extraordinary efforts to save lives in the previous months. Patty, we shouldn't be surprised that we can politicize almost anything, but uh, politicization of masks seems to be uh, at least this trend right now. What did you think of what happened at Bandemir? Well, it wasn't a big surprise. That was clearly what they were going for. And let's be clear, there are two suits going on now. There's Jefferson County Public Health, which sued Bandemir. And now Bandemir has sued Jefferson County Public Health, Polis, the head of the health department here in Colorado. It's a huge suit filed by Randy Corporan, over 100 pages that basically throws in everything, including the kitchen sink. Um, Jeffco basically says you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to file a plan for any kind of event you were having, and you didn't. Uh, So it's going to go on for a long time because, like masks, it's become a a political game now. And we are going to see it through the election, at least. I want to give kudos to Dr. Mark Johnson, who, when you talk about sacrifices people made, he was going to retire after 30 years as head of Jeffco Public Health, but because of the pandemic, postponed it and wound up with this as his thanks. But he is leaving in October, and who can blame him? He probably would have preferred the gold watch. Uh, David, uh, wrap it up for us. They talk about constitutional rights here. Are we talking about the same issues we were last week when it comes to government, uh, governor powers? What do you think? You know, Jefferson County Public Health uh, sent a letter to Bandemir saying that all events in Colorado, quote, must comply with the requirements of the Colorado Department of Health and Environmental Public Health Order. As if. You don't have to comply with masks and social distancing when you're having huge left-wing protests or when you're rioting or when you're vandalizing the state capitol. You know, as viewers of this show know, I am so pro-mask that I was for masks even when the Centers for Disease Control and the World Health Organization were telling people not to wear them. But if people of one political viewpoint can violate these so-called orders with impunity, then it's really tough to see why everyone else is supposed to be so obedient. Well, let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please, we start with you. I have to go with President Donald Trump encouraging people to vote twice in Colorado if they can, vote once with their ballot, then go to the polling place and see if they can vote again. He is the president of the United States, and basically you should not be arguing for people to break the law and try to vote twice. Colorado has done a good job. It's taken a while to have its mail-in voting campaign. We hope it holds up. Uh, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold went out and defended our system, but we do not need the president of the United States encouraging illegal voting. David, the woman in Boulder who beat up a 12-year-old for carrying a pro-Trump sign on his bike. Penn, we go to you next for your disgrace of the week. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say the the promoters of Proposition 115, where in a country where Roe versus Wade is still the law of the land, why they would promote a measure with no exceptions for the health of the, the mother, the health of the child, or rape or incest seems beyond the pale. And I wish we would just quit having these debates over this issue. Natasha, we go to you next. 
We've known that our cultural institutions have been hit hard, but the news this week that Denver Arts and Venues is doing furloughs, Colorado Ballet has for um, laid off uh, their their dancers. It just it feels like the day the music died. Now that being said, I know that Colorado creatives will not let this be the end of of that chapter. I know it will come back, but it's a sad week um, to know that so many of those venues and voices um, won't be heard. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? We are heading into one of the more unusual Labor Day weekends ever. So let's stop and think about the people who have been working so hard through COVID, the healthcare workers who are putting their lives on the line, the first responders. And let's also think about the people who've lost their jobs and are looking for work and give them some thought. Shout out to them. David. Democrats say that Trump is an authoritarian and an incipient monarchist with, with a personality disorder. Republicans say Biden has cognitive decline and that lots of Democrats are pro-looting and prefer the Cuba-Venezuela system of government compared to the U.S. one. Instead of everybody being so polarized, maybe we should acknowledge that both parties can be right at the same time. (laughs) Or we can be cynical at the same time. Uh, Penn, we go to you to say something nice. You know, I, I want to give props to the artist Detour and a personal thanks for the mural of my father. He's uh, painted on the, the, the wall of the Boulder Public Library, which is, uh, where, is where my mother used to work also. So thank him for that. If you get a chance to see it online or in person, it's just a beautiful um, um, tribute to my dad. Thank you, Detour. Uh, Penn, I will echo that uh, your dad was not only uh, a legendary leader in this city for uh, in this community for a variety of different reasons, but he was also uh, one of the first board members of this very organization, PBS 12. So uh, without him, a lot of people uh, would uh, not be around, namely uh, this station. So we appreciate his that our very small part of his large legacy. Natasha, we go to you. Well, there's absolutely no way that I can top that. So I I do know that I must make a trip up to Boulder soon (laughs) to see that mural. Really quickly, I will say that there are reports of snow. The the temperature is changing. The aspen um, leaves are just starting to show a little bit of color. So fall is is nearly here, which means that in this time warp of 2020, time is actually passing. It it feels that fall is basically going to be uh, Tuesday or going to be Monday night between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. So get out there and enjoy it because by 9 p.m. it's going to be winter. And then, I don't know, it's, it's 2020, it's Colorado. Uh, it's, it's just wild. We'll go from 90 degrees to 40 degrees. Uh, who else but here in Colorado? Uh, I want to give a special reminder about our election coverage kicking off next week. That's right. If it's post-Labor Day, we're in time to get into the election. Colorado Decides is back every Friday night at 7 and 7.30. Next Friday, we'll start by looking at the ballot issues, the National Popular Vote Compact at 7 o'clock, and the Wolf Reintroduction issue at 7.30. Trust me, you will not want to miss it. And just so that you know, every Friday night from now on, right and through, really frankly, till Thanksgiving, at 7 and 7.30, we'll either be offering you two episodes of Colorado Decides, two different debates, uh, really focusing on a lot of ballot issues in September. And then in October, we're going to start a whole new expanded season of both sides of the story. That's going to carry us all the way to uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, Friday nights, uh, as usual, you can count on PBS 12 to provide the most in-depth election coverage that we can possibly provide, uh, covering all the different ballot issues and as many statewide races as we possibly can. Uh, Do know that our invitation to get you a U.S. Senate debate is out there. 
We're hoping it comes to reality. We'll have to cross our fingers, see what happens. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.